today on Ag News Daily. Once you have meaningful and trustworthy data, that's when we can allow the machines to optimize, learn, and inform itself when you introduce new data to the system. December 5th, 2023, Tuesday edition. Remember, what, what did I call this last week? Was it Torture Tuesday? Was it Temporary no. Tuesday? You made what that was, up. What was the word? <laughs> There's something about not having very much news Tuesday mornings. Mm, that sounds like, I don't think that's what it sounds like. Oh, <clears throat> well, we'll have to come up with a better Tuesday. We do love our Tech Tuesday interviews. So we'll be excited to get into that. But do you think we should jump into the weather first? Well, I suppose because there's not much else to talk about. <laughs> and we don't have a lot of weather. We do have some light snow expected in the states that usually get snow this time of year. We've got western Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota. Of course, light snow can mean slippery road conditions. Obviously, be careful if you're traveling in those areas. Overall, accumulations uh, will be very little, but it will create slick surfaces on bridges and overpasses. Back down to our friends in the south, still got high wind warnings in Oklahoma. Those will continue to push through. Gusts up to 40 miles per hour are forecasted in those areas followed by thunderstorms towards the end of this week. So it'll be interesting to see the weather pattern shift. I think here in central region in the Midwest, we're only looking at maybe a slight chance of precipitation towards the end of the week. Otherwise, today should be cool and breezy and not much for excitement. Okay, that's it. We, that's it we got for the weather, huh? That's what we've got. All right. Well, the big headline I have, I guess, to report on is production numbers. As we head into this week's WASDE report, we chatted about it earlier this week with Ted Seifried. Not expecting to see a huge surprise on this week's report, Tanner. However, we are starting to get some early estimates from analysts as far as average trade expectations, as well as some expectations for what we see production-wise internationally. Because as we know, Brazil in particular has been dealing with uh, some tumultuous weather patterns down there. Late last week, Stonex released their updated production estimates showing reductions in the size of the Brazilian soybean and corn crop, currently pegging the crop at a 161.9 million metric ton crop. That's down 3 million metric tons from November's estimate. And their estimate for the first and second corn crops were also reduced just slightly for the first one and uh, more aggressively for the second one down 1.6 million metric tons. So this does put decreases in total below USDA's current forecast. The question being, will USDA adjust it on this Friday's report, Tanner? We're seeing mixed estimates coming from top analysts that were surveyed, the average corn trade guess as far as U.S. ending stocks is putting the average at a 2.153 billion bushel ending stock. That is down compared to November's numbers. Soybeans also down from November's USDA estimates, averaging 242 million bushels, and wheat is unchanged for U.S. production numbers. When we look at global production, corn Averages are at 313 million tons, also down from 
November's estimates. Soybeans are averaging 112.9 million tons, also down from last month, but there is a wide range on global ending stocks for soybeans. So that one could be a little bit of a tricky one coming up on Friday. And lastly, wheat average is 258.8 million tons. That's up from last month, but again, wide trade estimates there on wheat production numbers. So who knows what Friday will bring, but the trade is pretty well in line with U.S. ending stocks. Global is a little bit more of a question mark, Tanner. Yeah, that will be interesting for us to report on once it comes out. We have Greg Peterson, who is Machinery P, giving us his used tractor report. A couple of key items taken from his most recent article. The overall supply of used tractors is finally beginning to rise in the second half of this year. Despite rising supply, though, prices are still remaining strong. <clears throat> the value of pre-def and pre-tier 4 tractors in good condition are still skyrocketing and being the highest demanded age of tractors. Those are between 2012 and 2016. Three recent farm auctions in Kentucky, Missouri, and Iowa dictated that. A John Deere 4455, which would be much older than that, set a record at just shy of $100,000 during this last month. Machinery P continues to state that even those mid-size cattle feeding tractors like John Deere 6430s, 6400s, um, continue to be under high demand as well those mid-sized tractor, but the pre-def used tractors are increasingly becoming popular. Obviously, as they get into higher hours, they're demonstrating their bulletproof-like characteristics. If you have a 10-year-old tractor in your fleet that you're looking to sell, he states that now would be the time to do that. His predictions for the next year is that we will continue to see some used tractor market growth as far as supply and inventory goes, he's not sure on where prices will head. It'll depend upon how large that supply gets. Obviously, the more supply that we run into, then we will see prices start to subside. But right now, they're inflated at such high values. It's still going to be a strong market, though, Amy. Well, speaking of a strong market, Tanner, the fertilizer market is expected to once again be strong in 2024. As we look at the outlook for next year, Prices, of course, did move lower in 2023, and that's expected to stabilize and remain positive as we move into 2024 with more supply returning to the marketplace and those nutrients becoming once again more affordable. As we look at some wild cards, though, Tanner, we, of course, don't know what is going to play out with the war in the Middle East. We don't know where natural gas prices are going to go. And of course, crop prices and spring weather will also influence farmers' decisions to see how fertilizer and their inputs are factored into their balance sheets. But according to the International Fertilizer Association, consumption of the world's fertilizers is expected to recover by 4% in 2023 as we wrap up the year here. Uh, we're going to see not quite record levels of fertilizer used in 2023, the record being set back in 2020, when about 200 million metric tons of fertilizer was used this year. We're going to see about 192 million metric tons, but coming off of 2022, when we saw record high fertilizer prices, 
we certainly started to see farmers begin to once again adopt that tool back into the toolbox. Global ammonia production declined uh, with by an estimated 1% heading into 2023, but nonetheless, we did see full recovery there of all of our eight major fertilizers, Tanner, and fertilizer consumption for 2024 is going to see an increase, according to Rabobank, of about 5%, as noting once again, lower fertilizer prices for global farmers is expected to create a positive marketplace for the year ahead. Yeah, again, another one of those supply demand price drives a lot of that second category there. So good job bringing that to our listeners might be a little bit late for our listeners to be seeding cover crops, but if you're thinking about adding cover crops to your crop rotation mix next year, we do have some tips from the USDA to make sure that you qualify for EQIP or CSP payments, as well as other cost share programs. They warn you to make sure that your minimum rate is not too low. Obviously they will spot check the acres that are enrolled in their program. So as you look to apply your cover crop mix, they do have a calculator that allows you to indicate what your minimum rate is. For example, if you are looking at seeding cereal rye, that calculator will tell you the minimum bushels per acre that you must have in order to qualify for the payment. If you're looking at a mix of cover crops, they will also inspect to make sure that you don't have one species in your mix at a higher rate than prescribed. And if that is, you could be disqualified or have reduction in payment, making sure that when you do select your cover crop mix, that the species are compatible. We want to make sure that the species will not combat each other, as well as make sure your species are there to work in a collaboration effort uh, to protect your soil over the winter. Make sure that your method of rate adjustment If you do apply for different rates across fields or different portions of your field, that you are adjusting that rate. And then also the seeding deadline, Delaney. Another consideration is that most areas do have seeding deadlines put in place. Most of those deadlines are somewhere between September 30th and October 30th. As you continue to watch in your area, discuss with your NRCS staff what application process you're going to use and when that will be made and keep all tags. So if you are using a mix of commercial cover crop seed, keep bags and tags to be able to provide with your application for reimbursement. So there's only some good tips there. If our listeners are looking to in, uh, incorporate cover crops next year, or if they're looking to get their reimbursement, those would be some key things to take when you fill out the paperwork this year, if you did have them seated in time. Well, Tanner, I've got an update here on a large court case that's been going on for years now of a farm entity that was alleged of fraud still going through court cases, but they now have countersued. The Michigan Farm Borson Farm Entities has gone ahead and sued their crop insurance company as their fraud investigation continues. This court case, as I mentioned, has been going on for years. And on June 9th of 2021, the IRS executed a search warrant in Zeeland, Michigan at the Borson Farms in connection with an investigation of the farm. 
Borison Farm has two limited liability corporations owned by the farm, which are operated by Dennis Borson's wife and his son. And these LLCs have two very identical names, New Heights Farm 1 and New Heights Farm 2. Well, this past summer, their insurance company, Great American Insurance Company, told them that they were going to be delayed crop insurance claims that totaled over $2 million because of the ongoing court case. Now, Borson Farms has decided to, decided to file a lawsuit against the Great American Insurance Company, the FCIC, and the USDA about these delayed crop insurance payments. The crop insurance company said that they were going to adjust these claims and pause on any further payments due to the ongoing litigation. But Borson Farms' family attorney said that the deferment of these adjustments of claims was just, you know, complete baloney and the farm still was operating until 2021 when the IRS got involved and these crop insurance payments have been dated back to 2019 crop losses, Tanner. So uh, it's an interesting battle unfolding here in Michigan and still a very long process ahead, it sounds like for the Borson Farms and all of their entities. Yeah, I had perused that headline as well. It doesn't look like there's gonna be very clear answers. I've got just a couple of quick hits before we can hit markets. The Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Office is working together in their building to put together a publication. They will be the author of Sow Management Considerations with California's Prop Position 12 in mind article, looking to provide some consideration for producers on how they may adapt to Prop 12 practices. This is in conjunction with the Iowa Pork Industry Center, providing information to producers on how to manage females in your breeding herds, how to feral pigs, what group management looks like, and lots of good resources there. The Proposition 12 is going to change the dynamic of swine agriculture if it does not get repealed. So as long as it's in place, this resource is going to be valuable to those looking to read it. The humanitarian crisis continues to worsen in Gaza. Top UN officials are stating that the war-torn Gaza region is in a situation that is not a safe place to go for any civilian. Tens of thousands of internally displaced Palestinians Palestinians have arrived in Gaza's southernmost area, hoping to avoid any type of shelling in that region. However, we know that, like we stated yesterday, 80% of Gaza's population have been displaced from their region at a ratio of two Palestinian civilians killed for every Hamas militant is tremendously uh, concerning, according to the UN and those that are looking to take negotiation places in the ceasefire conversation. It's unfortunate, but those are the facts coming out of the Gaza region. That's what I've got for headlines today. Well, I think the only other headline I have for today, Tanner, is taking a look at where the overnights have been trading here for the grains. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, as we look at the overnights here, after yesterday's big moves for wheat and soybeans, both in opposite directions, of course, uh, we're starting to see a little bit of light trade in the overnights. March corn today unchanged in the overnight at 485 and a half. 
January soybeans up four and a quarter cent at 1310 and a half. Chicago wheat in the March contract down a penny and three quarters after yesterday's gains. Currently trading at 6.18 and three quarters. March wheat down two pennies at 6.55. And March spring wheat down four cents at 7.32 and a quarter. A quick refresher at where livestock closed yesterday. February live cattle shed 205 to new contract lows at about 67.07. January feeder cattle shed $3.90. We'll open this morning at 210.52. And February lean hogs added 70 cents on the board. We'll open this morning at 70.80. Tanner, today is of course a Tech Tuesday conversation. We're chatting with Randall Barker, the co-founder and CEO of Intent Ag. Well, folks, for today's Tech Tuesday conversation, we're chatting with Randall Barker, the co-founder and CEO of Intent. Randall, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Delaney. Glad to be here. So, Randall, I believe we've had Intent on the podcast before, but it has been quite some time. You guys have had a lot of exciting changes since then. Give us the 10,000-foot overview of what Intent does. Yeah, so Intent, we're in our eighth year of working with farmers, and it's always been our goal to accelerate adoption of new innovations on farm. And by doing that, we've invested a lot of time in trying to make sure that we understand how on-farm product evaluation and advancement connects with the entire pipeline of bringing in better innovations to farm, which is you know, pushed us strongly into the area of software, machine data, analytics, and really understanding how products and innovations work across a broad range of farm operations. That's exciting. And I do think I vaguely remember the conversation. So what are some fun things that you've been doing in 2023? In 2023, we once again have run many on-farm trials for a lot of products and practices, uh, everything from biologicals to sustainability uh, driven practices. But what's been really interesting for us is we launched uh, Envision Trials, which is our second generation of uh, on-farm trial software. And it's really changed how we can collect data and the speed at which we can deliver insights. So it's, um, been really exciting to have it a fully enabled piece of software to allow us and the farmers and our partners all to participate in, you know, seeing how data starts to create insights and answers as we go. Randall, I'm really curious to know how you've been able to collect data faster. And I'm curious to know if artificial intelligence has played any role in that. Yeah, I think data collection itself um, has continually changes and what drives change in data collection is mainly driven around engineering and um, that's in the equipment or you know satellite imagery continues to improve and and move faster Uh, drones even on on equipment um, monitors and sensors continue to get deeper richer and able to access that information a lot quicker Um, as each of the machinery operators continue to improve that. And we've also seen a lot of data collection in the area of computer vision. So if we think about sea and spray drones, um, even even remote sensing like satellite 
that's all driven by visual and that type of data being that it is so large uh, really lends itself to uh, AI type practices where you know we're learning about what these images imply and then each time we identify the same pattern we come back to it and and teach teach the machinery to recognize it and and that's been you know, an ongoing change that we'll continue to see. So as you look at artificial intelligence, that has been, I think, the topic of discussion really for the last few years, but it seems like in 2023, things have just really exploded when you think about harnessing AI technology on the farm. And I know this was a few months ago now, but you were part of a discussion at World Agritech, and I'm sure it's a part of an ongoing discussion that you have day to day with with your coworkers as well. But what do you see as the future of intent ag as related to artificial intelligence? Yeah, well, artificial intelligence is a, you know, an interesting word uh, or set of words to define, but we really look at it as to when and where, you know, computer driven systems are improving uh, independently of us. And if we think about data collection, um, it's been rapidly increasing over the past, you know, five years and continues to accelerate both in, you know, the depths and formats of data. So we're getting new types of data and we're getting more of the familiar data that we've been collecting, whether that's climate, weather, yield, soils, it all is growing uh, at an accelerating rate. So that that really bodes well for AI. And the reason that sets up AI is because once you have meaningful and, and trust uh, trustworthy data, that's when we can allow the machines to optimize, learn, and inform itself when you introduce new data to the system. So if all this data that we've been collecting can be mined and optimized and understand the relationships our software computers to recognize the meaning of that data and, and it just continually grows. So I think that's where we're seeing things um, in the most practical sense uh, start to change everything from you know our weather forecasting to building models about how soils and plants respond to each other um, to, to using uh, satellite or drone imagery to identify stressors or productive practices. So Randall, as you look then at other things coming down the pipeline for 2024, what are some of the big areas that you are focused on? So we're, we continue to, to focus on the role of inputs and uh, that stems from seed, biologicals, um, traditional crop protection, fertility products, and their interaction with engineering. And our, our focus is still to drive on-farm trials, recognizing how farmers are using these advanced systems uh, in their operation. And when they do that running a trial, it creates a lot of data. And we are able to take that data and create meaning for that single field that a farmer was executing on, but then also derive a lot of insights for a group of farmers who ran a similar trial. And, and that helps both the individual farms and the group of farmers and 
ultimately in that scenario, you know, if we're using computer vision type data, uh, let's say hyperspectral imagery with drones and soils testing and machine data for yield, you know, the individual farmer and field benefits, but when we can provide that in context with the other farmers that we've tested the same thing with, we can get a sense of how does how do farmer tendencies, practices, and equipment uh, change outcome, uh, not not just the product itself. So I think that's always our our task, and what we really start to use AI for is dealing with the complexity of these multi-factor uh, analyses. And what we, we find is they continue to be um, repeatable. So as we run the analyses, it, it starts to inform itself where to change and where to look. When you look at the early adopter clients that you're working with, what are some characteristics that they all share? Uh, I would say for sure, all of them share, you know, this eagerness to, to explore. And I think, you know, it's the, the farmers that we work with often are, you know, driving the, some of the ideas on how to push the innovation. And I think that's been consistent since we started the company is that if we bring something very novel, it could be a sea and spray type uh, technology, they always have one more step that they have to add to it. And I think that that's really the exciting part, particularly when we start to work with companies that that really leverage that uh, creativity of the farmer. So I think that that tends to be the consistency in in our business models that when we engage the farmer, the innovation goes one step further and oh, always ends up with, well, couldn't you just right <laughs> do something? Why can't we just get the answer for this? Could you calculate that? How would I know if I'm going to have this stress? When did you know? Right. And, and I think that type of questioning is great because it, it throws us back into the, the throes of looking at all the data that we have collected, both on that farm and, and at a broader scale and answer, answer that question ourselves. When did we know? Did we know early enough? Could we repeat that and recognize, you know, the drought, this dry area, this under or overperforming area? The sooner we can know using the data, the, the better off it is. And it's, um, you know, practically it's always the farmer pushing us to, to be better, faster, more reliable. Randall, before we let you go, if any of our listeners are curious to learn more about what Intent Ag is doing or picking up on some of this conversation for themselves, what's the place to go to find the best information? It's very simple. You go to intent.ag um, and, and you can reach us anytime there. We have lots of interesting uh, partner companies that that we'll be driving trials for in 2024, and we're always looking for our farmer trials network to reach out to us who can connect with us through intent.ag or farmertrials.com and and find their way to intent because our goal is we know for sure that if we're not involving farmers in this innovation, we're not going to collect the data 
that, that's needed. We're not going to ask it the right questions or build the AI type tools that actually help farmers. Because if we can get them using their on-farm tools to build their AI infrastructure, then we're going to be on the right track um, and the industry will follow. And net-net, it should be highly beneficial to both in terms of increasing reliable on-farm productivity. Great. Well, Randall, thank you again so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your time. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Well, it was good to catch up with Intent. It's always awesome to share our Tech Tuesday conversations, Delaney. But we'll be back again tomorrow. Listeners, don't go too far. Well, for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.